0: When you start planning a wedding, it's crazy how the tiny to-dos that you never knew were even a thing start to take over your life. The nitty-gritty of guest lists and venues and the schedule of the big day itself stock up. And pretty quickly, those tiny to-dos seem like this insurmountable mountain. You know, it's been five years since Joseph and I entered into the vocation of marriage, but I bet that if you're tuning in and it's been months or years since your own wedding, you can still recall that feeling. And if you're in the season of engagement, you know exactly what I'm talking about. What's a couple to do? Is Is it possible to arrive at the wedding altar and not be totally stressed out and exhausted by what has to be done? Is there a way to prepare for marriage and plan for a wedding that leaves you more joyful Than when you started. Hey there! Welcome to Letters to Women. It's a podcast where we explore and embrace what Saint Pope John Paul II called the feminine genius—this unique strength and dignity that we have as women—and what growing in that looks like in our daily lives. This is a space where we celebrate the stories of others in the small and big ways. That God is working in our lives. My name is Chloe Langer and today I'm sitting down with Mary Beth Giltner and Rebecca Martin. We're talking about a brand new Catholic wedding planner that they've created. This planner was born out of their experience, both of their experiences, planning a wedding in the middle of a pandemic and they've truly created something that helps engaged couples keep track of all those little details without losing sight of what really truly matters in this season of engagement. We're talking about everything from mental and physical health during the season of engagement and then also the importance of communication and how these big subjects that we hear are the things that take down marriages like sex and money really truly boil down to communication and how tackling those subjects as a couple in the season of engagement truly can set a solid foundation for continuing to talk about those subjects after the wedding, because <laughs> as many of us who are married know, you you don't stop talking about sex and money as soon as you're married. Actually, those conversations become more frequent. And so really, truly being able to enter in into those conversations in a way that honors the dignity of, of you as an individual and your marriage. If you're in the middle of planning a wedding, or you know and love someone who is, and you want to be both intentional with your wedding to-do list and prepare for a lifelong marriage, sister, this letter is for you. Today's episode is sponsored by the Little Catholic Box. The Little Catholic Box is a quarterly subscription box for Catholic women. Each quarter, Erica, the owner, curates unique and beautiful Catholic items around a spiritual theme. It is so much fun to be a subscriber to the Little Catholic Box, and it's also a blessing to the artists and creators and small businesses whose items are featured in these quarterly boxes. First quarter boxes ship to subscribers at the beginning of February. But they also have a limited number of single boxes available for purchase. And listeners to the Letters to Women podcast get exclusive bonuses each month by visiting thelittlecatholicbox.com slash letters. They're offering something different every month for Letters to Women listeners. So head over to thelittlecatholicbox.com letters to check out what this month's bonus is. All right, let's dive into this conversation with Mary Beth and Rebecca. Today, I'm welcoming Mary Beth Giltner and Rebecca Martin to the podcast. As Senior Acquisitions Editor, Mary Beth oversees curation and development of Our Sunday Visitors' extensive line of trade books, and Rebecca serves as Associate Editor for Our Sunday Visitors' trade books, working with authors to perfect their manuscripts, a role which she describes as book midwife, ensuring the happy delivery of a healthy new book to the OSB family. Ladies, welcome to the Letters to Women podcast. It's so good to host you on the show. Thanks
1: for having us. Thanks,
0: Chloe. Thanks, Chloe. Absolutely. Rebecca, you and I have worked together really closely on a couple of projects and book midwife is the most accurate description. I love that term.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, especially since on our first project, we were
0: racing so (laughs) I'm just grateful we got the edits done before baby came. (laughs) I had a book midwife and then I had a baby midwife and it was the perfect combination. (laughs) (laughs) So today we're going to be talking about a brand new Catholic wedding planner that you both have written for couples. We, I've gotten to know you as editors, but it's been really beautiful to get to know you as authors as well. And this new wedding planner gives advice on approaching things like challenging conversations, like budgets and expectations. But I think it also really speaks beautifully into how couples can prioritize their mental and their physical health while planning a wedding. It's, it's hitting some of the things that I think kind of drop through the cracks when it comes to other resources that are that are out there for brides. So I'm really excited to chat with you about this. Um, but to start us off, Can you both tell me a little bit about your stories as Catholic women, especially for women who are getting to know you maybe here for the first time on this podcast?
1: Sure. Rebecca, I'll go first, uh, only because I'm older. How's that? (laughs) (laughs) That's that's exactly the reason why I wasn't starting to talk. It's funny. I I was about to say, Rebecca, you go first. And I thought, whatever, I'll just take it. So this is Mary. Um, And I'm older, so I've been a Catholic woman a little longer. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I... uh, was raised in a Catholic family. Um, actually, Rebecca and I have very similar backgrounds. Both, um, I'm from a homeschooling family. Um, I like to tell people that I was a homeschool kid before being a homeschool kid was cool, because it is now. And um, I'm the oldest of seven. Went or graduated from high school and then uh, went to Christendom College. Got a BA in philosophy. Thought I was going to be a teacher. Ended up discovering that wasn't for me and getting into publishing instead. That's a long story. That's need not be told here, Uh, discerned religious life for a little while. I was with the Nashville Dominicans for two years from 2014 to 2016. Um, And then when I sort of realized the Lord wasn't calling me there, it became very clear. He he placed it on my heart that, no, he was calling me to marriage. So I left Nashville, ended up getting this job at OSV through many, many works of providence over the course of the months after I left and uh, moved to Fort Wayne. And met my husband here two years later when he moved here for a job. So the Lord knew what he was doing. Yeah. So that's kind of the bird's eye view of my story as a Catholic woman. I've been married for two years and my son was born last May.
2: I was going to say, my, my story after Mary Beth, we do joke about this, but we have strangely <laughs>
1: parallel lives.
2: We do. Like, it's going to be a little boring, frankly. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. <laughs> So major difference is that Mary Beth's a big city girl, and I grew up in the Midwest, born and raised in Indiana, or sorry, raised in Indiana, technically not born there, but I claim it. Homeschooled, one of three girls, and uh, went to college at Christendom as well. Ended up, uh, I've kind of always known that I wanted to do something with words. I briefly toyed with the idea of being a history teacher and then realized that was a very bad idea. So I started editing other people's papers in college and uh, ended up working after college in Ann Arbor for the the, uh, Ann Arbor Dominicans, uh, Dominican Sisters of Mary, Mother of the Eucharist. So I uh, worked for them doing their direct mail programs and database stuff. And then this position opened up at OSB, and it was one of those moments where the Lord hits you upside the head with a two by four and says, this is where I want you to go. Despite a minor existential crisis, I had just gotten settled in Ann Arbor, and feeling like everything was good. And I was, you know, happy and satisfied. And then the Lord decided to upend my life in a good way. <laughs> so I uh, moved down to Fort Wayne, um, after Mary Beth hired me and I've been, uh, working for OSB now, um, coming on four years actually in April, moved down there shortly after I moved down to Indiana again, started dating a Michigander, just, you know, I moved down to Indiana expecting to find a nice Hoosier boy, stay in my home state. No, no. Michigan followed me <laughs> and took me <him> back. So <laughs> I've been ping-ponging between two states. Uh, moved back up here in, uh, in 2020, married my husband, um, and we've been living up here ever since. Um, Actually just bought our first house. Say Mary Beth got a baby, I got a house, you know. <laughs> We're, we're currently not quite on exact parallel lines, but we'll probably catch back up. <laughs> we're also but we're also both late Dominicans. We should probably mention that. You're <laughs> the same chapter.
1: <laughs> but you started it. You started I it. Did, so. I
0: did start that one. As I'm listening to you, there's also a lot of things that are similar to my own story. The homeschooling, uh, the big family. I'm the oldest of eight.
2: See, I'm practically an orphan. I'm practically an orphan. I only have two siblings, okay? I go to Christendom, everyone's got families of like eight and ten, and they look at me like, you you poor child, you're an orphan.
0: (laughs) Let's chat about a project that you you both have worked on together to continue the parallel life theme here that we have. You've recently released this beautiful book, which is The Catholic Wedding Planner, and it's published by Our Sunday Visitor. But for people who haven't cracked it open yet to see what's inside, I would love to hear a little bit more about what inspired the book, but then also, what are people going to find inside the cover?
1: Right. I can go into the inspiration a little bit, because that actually started even before Rebecca joined us. Um, Rebecca's just the one who helped it get off the ground, but... We were um, looking at books that could serve uh, younger women, especially in the church. And um, as I was kind of poking around, this was in my first year, first two years at OSB, I was just surprised to see that there wasn't much. And, and this is not to say there's not anything. There are some other Catholic wedding resources out there, and they're very good. Um, But they tended to be a little bit more information heavy, smaller books, kind of meant to teach you about the sacrament and about how to how to have a good Catholic ceremony. Um, But they didn't combine the practical aspect of just writing down notes to yourself and and keeping a worksheet and and just the nitty gritty of wedding planning. And so we thought, you know, this is a resource that we'd like to offer. And it's something OSV is really uniquely equipped to offer because we can do more in-depth books like that. So that was the beginning, and then as we um, continued to discuss, we we realized we also wanted it to be a companion for the bride on the way, and and again, not just an information resource, although it is that, but also a friend. It's <laughs> something to, to kind of be beside you and, and help you on the on the journey as you're seeking not only to plan a wedding but to prepare for a sacrament uh, and to form a loving heart for that. Sacrament itself. And that kind of gets into what's in the pages a little bit. So I'll touch on that and then let Rebecca take over. The big thing I really wanted to do was weave some spiritual reflections throughout, uh, looking at that passage from 1 Corinthians on what love is, Uh, mostly because I've learned in my spiritual journey that every time there is some spiritual truth that you hear all the time and want to roll your eyes at, uh, at least in my case, it's a good indication that the Lord is actually trying to tell me something. And I realized I just roll my eyes at that passage and think everybody does it at weddings, whatever. Okay, clearly there's something here. So um, we ended up going to uh, three Catholic wives and mothers, Jenny Eubing, uh, Rachel Balducci, and Emily Wilson, and asking them to contribute essays that reflect one at a time on love is patient, love is kind, etc. Um, and so that's woven throughout the planner um, to kind of just ground the bride in. That reality—that this isn't just about planning a day; it's about preparing for a lifelong commitment and a a sacrament. I'll let Rebecca touch on the rest because she (laughs) did the hard work there.
2: (laughs) Oh, so I mean, as Mary Beth said, those reflections are really the heart of the book. um But I, so I stepped into you know starting to work for OSB, and somehow this topic of the wedding planner came up, and I was like, "Eh, "I've planned weddings; I can do that." Possibly, I, I did not fully understand exactly what it meant at the time, but (laughs) <laughs> it's it's good. It's good. I drew on uh, my own experience of planning some close friends' weddings in college. Um, actually, my senior year, my roommate and I, um, I planned her wedding for her, um, and then I've helped out with a few others. So I had an I had some experience that I could draw on and started putting it together. And what I wanted it to be was the whole picture of a wedding from the Catholic worldview. So that means not just not just the sacramental prep, although that's that's the most important part. Is the sacramental cup, but also to be able to look at things like the budget, things like even your cake or where you're going on your honeymoon. All of these things from a Catholic worldview, which is holistic, which is integrated body and soul, mental, physical, emotional, all of that. And so, how does being Catholic then affect each of those parts of your wedding planning and your preparation for marriage? So it's got everything. <laughs> it's got the timeline all the way down to your packing list for your honeymoon down to stocking your fridge for when you get back into your home it's i really tried to really to be a companion because i wanted i I remember also then i was actually planning my own wedding as we were crafting this book and realized that there were so many times where i was feeling i don't know just somewhat isolated or alone is like me faced with all of these decisions and it's not like my husband and my family and friends weren't helping but it's at a certain point it's just you can get overwhelmed so easily um, and I wanted this to really be us just kind of holding out our hand and saying, hey, we're rocking with you. And this is a season that can be a season of grace and not just one of stress.
0: We're going to dive into a couple of the topics that you mentioned, like budgeting, especially when it comes to a wedding. When couples are tackling those topics together in engagement, the way that they tackle them can really set them up if they approach them well. For the same conversations that happen, maybe not about a wedding, but a budget crosses the line and goes into the marriage as well. But before we dive into a little bit more of those practicals, let's start with some sacramental basics just to set the groundwork on the foundation. Could you guys talk about what makes marriage a sacrament in the Catholic Church? And then what's necessary for two baptized people to enter into that sacrament in a valid way? Because I think getting this right at the beginning makes makes a massive difference.
2: Mary best married to the theologian I'm pumping to her. Oh,
1: I was about to punt to you because of, <laughs> like, I don't have my coffee with me. <laughs> there you go. Well, I was about to say, I'm looking at this question. I'm thinking, what makes marriage a sacrament? And then I'm going into this scripture and going, so wait, when was the sacrament of marriage instituted? And then I admit, my brain just starts going, I don't even know. Um, uh, so when Jesus says, um, I tell you, Moses
2: said that you could write a bill of divorce and put aside your wife. But I say to you that something
1: along the lines of don't do that. in the beginning, God, it wasn't it, so... Do we know, though, if that's when it was instituted or or was it the wedding feast at Cana? You see? I'm sorry. I'm I'm derailing. Tangents. What makes marriage a (laughs) sacrament? Or what makes a
2: sacramental marriage?
1: Yeah, I was going to say that. It seems like I'm not sure what makes marriage a sacrament, except for the fact that the church tells us it is. But now I want to dive into the theology of this question. Focus, Um, focus. (laughs) What makes a sacramental marriage is... uh, you know, I love the way Rebecca laid this out, because I do want to put this out there right now. Rebecca drafted probably 80% of this wedding planner. I did a lot of editing. I did a little bit of writing and a lot of gathering other people's thoughts. So I'm I'm really editor. I'm crediting Rebecca as writer. But Rebecca really beautifully laid out the four Fs that are required to enter into the sacrament of marriage. It needs to be full free faithful and fruitful so that's kind of what we're looking at as people are preparing to get married is being able to fully give of themselves freely they're not coerced faithfully they intend to stick together for life and then fruitful they're open to uh, open to life and the possibility of children and so then they commit to doing that together uh as the church has a required them to do so that is they're going to make their vows to each other in the presence of a minister of the church within a church building unless they're given a dispensation of some kind in order to enter into a sacramental marriage yeah, really um, it really
2: what boils down to is, is that understanding the church teaching on, on what marriage is and the fact that it's not just i mean and to do that really these days especially we have to fight through so much misunderstanding of what the culture tells us that marriage is that it's a contract that can be broken whenever someone doesn't hold up their end or that it's you know that it's all about sex (laughs) or Mm -hmm. that it's all about you know just setting up shop together and you can walk out whenever you just don't feel like it anymore so it's it's really digging into and making sure that you're completely on board with those four f's because that's really what it makes also then to to make a happy marriage and to make a good marriage it's not just like oh you got to check these boxes for the sake of calling it catholic it's that when these four things are bound together That's when a marriage can actually work, right?
0: I also love this emphasis on the four Fs because it's just easy to remember. I remember when I was prepping for my own wedding and marriage and our marriage prep was presenting them as free, total, faithful, and fruitful, and I always forgot. Total. Not sacramentally. I entered into the marriage totally, which was good. But I love, yeah, the fullness of that. <laughs> it's just such a good way to describe it. Yeah, really, truly entering into this. I'm all in. There isn't a backup plan. Um, and I'm not going to call it quits when I don't feel like it anymore. And that is countercultural to the way that the world, especially today, looks at marriage and says that that's what it is.
2: Well, it's, it's kind of terrifying then when you do enter into marriage because you realize just how much that definition of full actually affects because it's something that I joke about the, the women that I'm friends with who are you know preparing for marriage or whatever is it's like no marriage literally affects every single part of your life right down to what toothbrush you buy
1: and <laughs> like
2: who puts gas in the car and like there is not a single part of your life that is not affected and changed when you enter into marriage and you have to like you can't foresee all of those right places in which you're asked to give it yourself but you have to be willing to
0: accept them. The average wedding in 2019, I was looking this up as I was preparing for this conversation, cost about $34,000. And I don't think it's uncommon for the average bride and groom to go into debt for a wedding. But there is another way. That isn't the only way to enter into a wedding. And, and that's managing money thoughtfully and prudently. So how can couples approach this wedding budget together without it becoming this massive source of tension in their relationship? And how can... A couple sitting down and defining their values and defining their priorities really help shape those financial conversations in, in engagement, but then also in their marriage later down the road.
2: The first um, kind of the the really the, um, the thought that underpins this whole conversation of the wedding budget is really what's the wedding about? What's it for? Um, and it's the same question that you have to ask with money in any circumstance is what's the end goal? What's the purpose? And especially when it comes then to wedding planning, you're looking ahead with how you're going to spend your money. It doesn't end at the altar. The wedding day is not the end of this process. It's the beginning. And so when you're talking about managing money um, in the context of wedding planning, you have to be looking ahead to how are we setting ourselves up for marriage? How are we setting ourselves up for life? And that might mean some more difficult conversations about how much money do we really want to spend if we need to You know, if we need to get a house, if we want to have children quickly, there is all sorts of considerations that can just kind of influence how you spend your money such that you're not stopping at the wedding day. And that's really the same conversation then that you have to have later is what's your what's your priority? Is it this particular purchase or is this particular purchase for a greater end and for a goal that you have as a couple?
0: Yeah, And I think defining values and defining priorities is such a helpful lens to look as a couple because when you're able to come to the conversation and see your future spouse prioritizing or valuing something, for instance, family, spending time with family or hospitality and maybe spending more on a block of hotels for the venue or for welcoming guests and And when you're being able to see the root of this is they're hospitable. This is something that they value. That changes the conversation from oh, this is something I, I, you value. And I, I'm able to see that versus why are you spending this much money on this thing? Because we don't, I don't, I'd rather spend it on this thing over here. And so I think really like that just kind of clears the table for a conversation to really get to know the other person, because like you're saying, it's not just a conversation about money. It's a conversation about something so much deeper. Yeah.
2: And it provides the opportunity then to, I think, really develop the communication skills. I mean, it's, it's kind of funny um uh, they say that you know all divorces are either because of money or sex the priest who was doing our marriage prep was like no no it's not about money it's not about sex it's about communication both of those things boil down to good or bad communication um mm-hmm. and so any topic in wedding planning but I think especially money because it is a hot button topic it has to do with how you know can you hear the other person can you respect the other person um and can you come to a decision on something that's mutually
1: respectful um, and loving. I had two thoughts. One thought was Rebecca, I really liked the way you structured this in the wedding planner. When I got that draft from you, it really stood out to me. You said at the beginning, just have a number, talk to your fiance, figure out what kind of gifts you might be getting from family, Mm -hmm. sit down and say, what's our number, write that down and kind of stick to that. Alex and I ended up doing that as we were preparing for our wedding, my, Dad called and said, "Hey, I want to help. Here's how much I'm giving you. We knew how much we had, and so we had this sense of this is our number, um, and that that really helped uh, kind of keep us grounded as we were as we were preparing. But I was going to say too, I love Chloe what you said about valuing or value and just kind of seeing what the other person values because in our relationship, I am the miser uh, <laughs> since I was a kid. My father has joked that when I open my wallet, George Washington puts on sunglasses." <laughs> <laughs> the thing. I believe money was made to be saved. And so um, my husband is, uh, is a spender. And even when we were engaged, it was just a thing. He would just look me and say, you're in charge of money. because I don't even know what I'm doing with it. Tell me what I can spend. So when we were looking for a venue, we, we met and uh, we really liked the place. And they told us how much it was going to cost. And we had to put down a down payment. And I was like, well, we like it. This is the place. Great. And so I pulled out my credit card and handed it over. I remember Alex talking to me later and saying, Oh my gosh, I just saw you pull that card out. And I was like, We're really getting married.
2: <laughs> this <laughs> it is was it. Like this moment. He was just so excited, like, Oh, I mean, I knew it, but like,
1: I knew it. He's <laughs> like, Hey, Mary best spending money. It's a thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, we, we get to know one another through the things we're willing to spend money on. It's great. <laughs>
0: Oh, it's so true though. But like I'm thinking even in that first year of marriage when Joseph and I, after the wedding was done and all the bills were paid for that, getting to know him based on how he budgets versus how I budget and like going through the season where we were like, We don't even need a budget. It's fine, which lasted a month before <laughs> we both went crazy. And but yeah, like looking back on it, there were so many kind of telltale signs about what that first year was gonna look like based on how we talked about money in the engagement process. And so I think it's really beautiful for couples with this wedding planner to become aware of those things versus kind of looking back retrospectively and like oh yeah, that would have been a, a really good indicator in how we can approach this conversation, but in the moment to be able to recognize that I think is such a gift for their communication going forward into their marriage. So well done. This was really good.
2: Thank
0: you. Okay. So that's money. Let's talk about sex as well. Cause I, like you said, like, <laughs> it's, it's communication. It really truly is. But most of the times I think couples start with that at the top, kind of like the surface level it, is money and sex are those conversations that, that people are having. And And chances are couples are, are giving some or a lot of thought to sex as they prepare for marriage mm-hmm. and having a healthy sex life starts with having healthy conversation and good communication about sex. So, what are some subjects surrounding intimacy that couples should talk about before they get married and do you guys have any advice for working through an awareness of those conversations? Yes, before the wedding and how to approach those well. But then also after the wedding, because I think what we're the point we're driving home here is that these this isn't which gets flipped and it's done. Mm -hmm. So these conversations keep happening after after the wedding.
1: I mean, I think definitely beforehand, I I will say one of the things that kind of surprised me and I'm grateful for it was even realizing that we needed to talk about it because being raised in the and both of you would recognize this in a very. Uh, traditional Catholic family, homeschool, Christendom College. I was in a convent for two years. This is not a thing we really talk about. And, and so just realizing that, uh, no, not only is it a thing that we talk about, but it's a thing we must talk about um, because that's where intimacy begins. Thankfully, Alex was very patient with me, but even just getting past that hurdle of well we can't talk about it I think is really important leading up to the big day having that trust in your fiance to say especially if it's something you're not comfortable with hey I'm not comfortable with or you know I I think this is an a known fact that Alex was actually married before so we were coming from two completely different places for him he needed me to kind of forgive his experience if you will and for me, I needed him to be patient with my lack of it. <laughs> um, but every couple's gonna have a different story in that way. Again, that's kind of where intimacy begins, is in that trust of we can even have this uncomfortable conversation and learn not to be uncomfortable with it.
2: Yeah, I guess the thing I would add there too is just there is this sense of, as soon as, as I think, especially maybe for uh, the more conservative end of things that as soon as we get married, we'll instantly be able to figure out sex and it will be perfect <laughs> and awesome and there will never be a problem. And that is a lie uh-huh. in every possible way. And the reality is that just like every other piece of your marriage, just like every other piece of the wedding planning and entering into this sacrament, it's a thing you have to figure out together. Like Mary Beth said, you get, you know, oh, it's overcoming that squeamishness. Um, that was definitely a thing for me. I have to tell the story because it's hilarious. I remember the time that Carl and I actually, like, started having these conversations. We were sitting in the car in the parking lot of a mall after having had dinner, and we're sitting there and having this conversation. He's being very patient with me because all of my, just like, oh, I don't want to talk about it. It's coming out. We're working through this, whatever. And I put my head on his shoulder. And horn honks. Okay. Must be an accident. Whatever. He you talking, and I put my head on his shoulder again. Horn honks again. What the heck? Finally, after several occasions of this, turns out there was an ambulance crew behind us who oh, no. apparently decided to chaperone. <laughs> <laughs> and every time our heads came together, they honk the horn. And, we by, and they're standing there, howling like and they were like a couple rows back like far enough that I couldn't just like lean out the window and yell at them like I so wanted to do uh,
1: but
2: yeah so that is cemented in my mind it's like these conversations are just awkward on all the levels and you just have to lean into the awkwardness okay just do it it's fine and then you know then there's marriage prep and you end up talking to a priest about sex way more than you ever thought you would lean into the awkwardness that's my advice
1: I really like that actually leaning into the awkwardness and yeah just getting comfortable with being uncomfortable and I say that and I roll my eyes even as I say it because whoever gets comfortable with being uncomfortable nobody certainly not me but even just um, accepting the fact of discomfort as part of the process uh is is so important i do want to add another this is a very practical thing but we do bring it up in the wedding planner um, we actually spoke with or i i spoke with a local napro doctor here in fort wayne dr chris stroud um, he's an OBGYN who works with probably every catholic woman in the greater fort wayne area but obviously not just Catholics. but he is terrific and uh, very Catholic and faithful. And we were talking about ways in which women can be, women particularly, but couples can be preparing as, they, as they're engaged and getting ready to get married. And one thing that we were discussing, especially for those who do come from the more conservative background or who just, you know, women who've been striving to live chastity and are now thinking, okay, so the, this switch is going to flip and I, things are going to be a little different and I don't really know how to do this. One thing to consider is actually getting a physical exam if your OB thinks it's necessary, even looking into pelvic floor physical therapy. And I I say that as someone who needed it myself. Um, I think it's, The PT that I've gone to even says most women need it and don't even know it. But if if you have any fears or anxieties in that area, really, really helpful and freeing thing to to look into. Um, And again, it was so helpful for me that I just feel the need to call it out for any woman who might be listening and thinking I have some fears in that area. There's no need to be afraid, but it it can kind of help if you can start getting yourself ready physically as well.
0: I've heard quite a few people actually recommend pelvic floor therapy in different a variety of seasons of life, and yeah, yep. every time it's yep. mentioned, the the people, especially if it's a therapist speaking into it, says, "Yeah, more women. Like I could see almost every woman, and it would be beneficial in some way. But it's such a small percentage of people who actually who come to to pelvic floor therapy. So definitely, yeah. worth looking into.
1: I will say too. Now having had it in two seasons of life, postpartum as well. Yes, it's very helpful in different <laughs> ways. But uh, it's it's strange, you know, and that is not as often talked about. But deep, very, very helpful.
0: Another thought that came to mind is, as you both were sharing was something that I had learned in in marriage prep, but then it was more cemented after marriage, was this idea that sex is communication, especially mm-hmm. leaning into what John Paul II talks about in Theology the Body, how our body is making visible the invisible and how it's communication, it's, it's body language at the, at the deepest root of that term. But just being yeah, like you said, comfortable with the uncomfortableness there, especially in the beginning. But then also the beauty of communication grows the longer that you're mm-hmm. married as well. I like the way that I, that Joseph and I talk and and talk about different subjects, whether they're light or heavy, has is a lot different five years into it than it was in the first year. And the same too when it comes to intimacy and sex, like that grows the further that you get into your marriage. And so yeah, to take the pressure off having it all figured out on your honeymoon. That just—it's—it's right. it's not going to happen, and that—and that's okay. Like that's actually a really cool thing because you—you yeah, you get yeah. to grow.
2: I was going to say that—that is, that is one thing to say. Do not put pressure on yourself to have the perfect wedding night because let's face it, you're going to be exhausted. You get to have been hyped up on all the all the excitement. You're stepping into this huge transition. You're probably trying to get to a hotel and unpack. you in an unfamiliar place, and oh, by the way, now there's someone in bed next to you, and that's weird. And just, just. Chill, it's fine. Don't worry about it. You've got your honeymoon, you've got your whole life. Don't worry about the wedding. Night.
1: Well, and I think this is one beautiful way in which the um, the Catholic view really really serves us. And that is that the cultural view is that after your honeymoon, it's all downhill from there. So you better make sure your honeymoon is gold standard. But the Catholic reality, or I should say the reality we live in as Catholics, let me say that, that we would invite everyone into. Is that the honeymoon is just step one, and it only gets better from there. You're stepping out into the ocean, and not downhill from there by any means, especially if you're doing it right. As I
2: was gonna say, and then there's those of us who got married in the middle of the pandemic lockdown who didn't get a honeymoon at all. So you know, true. <laughs> not that I'm bitter about that at all.
0: No. Speaking of planning a wedding under stressful circumstances, especially both both right both of you planned weddings during pandemic, right? <laughs> we did yes so so you know the reality of this very well that planning a wedding can be stressful and i have had friends who planned weddings during pandemics and and saw their wedding plans change and shift from day to day and and some who are planning right now who are going through that as well but regardless of the season wedding planning can be stressful like organizing little details and communicating with each other and sorting through these expectations I, i think the last thing that i'd really love for you both to speak into here is how would you recommend brides-to-be and their fiancés uh, manage stress and prioritize their mental health during the wedding planning process? I, I don't think this is a topic that gets talked about enough when it comes to this season of life.
2: Well, there's a great book by a woman called Chloe Langer.
0: <laughs> I did not set that up for that.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, I true? will. <laughs> it is true, though. I will put in a quick pitch for Chloe's first book with us, which is Created for love, of Reflections for the, bride, for the Catholic Bride to Be, oh, uh, which is just a really good spiritual companion that kind of walks through the four areas of the feminine genius and, and really accompanies you kind of in that spiritual realm of uh, preparing for marriage. So besides that, <laughs> <laughs> Mary Beth, why don't you take this one and I'll, I'll uh, fill in when you're done.
1: I think that it's a really interesting point you make, Chloe, that this isn't talked about enough because there's almost this sense of, well, I'm engaged and this is what everyone wants. So I should be so happy. And uh, if I feel anything less than a thousand percent, I'm doing something wrong. Or it means that this wedding is, is going to be terrible or my marriage is doomed from the beginning or I'm a horrible person. You know, you can kind of have all of those self-doubt. Can we just um, say that so- engagement
2: is like so much harder than
1: dating? Well, I was going to say, yeah, it's uh, engagement is is a, is a tough spot because it's it's living in transition, right? You are automatically in a space of transition. Dating is a space of questioning. There's the excitement of discernment. That space of this could work out, this could not. But once you're engaged, for the most part, you're kind of going, okay. Unless something pretty drastic uh, shifts, we are moving from here to marriage, and and so there's just this sense of of that. Um, that weight almost, and it can be it can be challenging. And so I think just to acknowledge this season is hard and not to feel guilty about that is good. This season is blessed. This season is a gift. This season has a lot of fun aspects, sure, <laughs> but it's also hard. Um, and it's also, especially if you're striving to, to live the church's teaching and, and remain chaste until marriage, once you hit engagement and that mental shift happens and we're doing this, it gets really, really hard to stay chaste um, and, and just even just to drive home. Every night. I remember in the last month of being engaged, I would visit with Alex on my way home from work because he was on my way home from work. And then I'd get in my car and I would drive the 10 minutes back to my house, crying the whole way and thinking, I don't know what's wrong with me. But I just, he's home and I have to go to this place and sleep by myself, you know? And it's hard, you know? And and it's beautiful and you know it's going to end, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't take its toll. So to acknowledge it, to talk about it with your fiance, you know, you, you guys should be in each other's corner. So Say when you're having a rough day, and let him say when he's having a rough day, and just be honest about that. Honestly, get uh, mental health help if you need it. This is a great time to be spending some time with the areas of your life that are hard, or with the wounds, or or with the areas of trauma that might surface, especially when you get into this very, very new phase of life called being a new bride. I remember when I entered religious life speaking with a vocations director who said, it is so important for people who want to to be faithful, faithful Catholics to have great mental health because we need to be able to be there for the rest of the world. And I just remember that that really set me free to seek counseling at that point in my life. And it stayed with me. If there is anything you're struggling with, there is no shame in seeking help so that you can be as healthy as you can be in order to be the best gift that you can be. So um, honestly, if there's any question, I'd say find a therapist, book a couple sessions and have some conversations where you can just kind of work through anything you need to work through because those wounds aren't going away after you get married. Sometimes we think once I'm married, it'll be better. But the reality is we bring our whole self into this sacrament and that whole self includes the wounds and the places that are in need of healing. And it is a good thing to start seeking that healing now in any way that might come up. Uh, And then obviously, most important is just prayer. Make some time for prayer, even if you don't have a lot of it. (laughs) Even if it's just your commute to and from work or or wherever, just turn off the radio, turn off the podcast. Sorry, not this podcast.
0: (laughs) I know, (laughs) I agree. (laughs) Turn this one off too and pray. (laughs) It's definitely ranks below prayer.
1: (laughs) Just uh, Yeah, just spend some time. Resting with the Lord, listening to him, asking what it is he wants to give us, give you in this season, because it's always a gift and he always has something he wants to give. Invite the Blessed Mother into this time. She was present at the wedding feast at Cana. She wants to be present at your wedding too. And she's going to see the lack before you do, just like she did there. Uh, And so you can say, Blessed Mother, what am I missing? Where are the areas that Jesus could fill if I even knew to ask him? And, and, And she'll help you figure that out as well. So. That would be That's my cool. suggestions. Yeah, That's beautiful. I'll just
2: add just kind of on a, on a daily basis. It's just authentic self-care. We have other book recommendations for that. Julia Hogan, look her up. <laughs> uh, but really, like it's with any phase of transition, with any phase of high stress, you've got to take care of your mind and your body. And that yeah. means setting aside quiet time. That means not letting wedding planning infiltrate every corner of your life. Um, but eating well, drinking water, getting sleep, setting aside quiet time, and just doing those things that will help you be fully present. But then also spending time with your spouse that doesn't, or your your future spouse, that doesn't revolve around wedding planning either. To just have mm-hmm. those normal date nights to have, even just to be talking about marriage instead of the wedding planning is good. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then the, the last thing that I wanted to mention too, don't crowdsource everything about your relationship. Wedding planning brings up so many things. You're dealing with so many, so many, and, and as Mary Beth said, so many wounds often um, with both of you. And there's tensions, there's struggles, there may be arguments, there may be you know, times when you're questioning or worrying or whatever. What you need to do at that point is go to prayer, go to the priest who's guiding you in marriage prep, go to your spouse, your future spouse, but don't crowdsource those problems um because the more that you end up processing them with your girlfriends the less you end up actually dealing with them with the people who are involved which is namely your your future
1: spouse
0: this has been so good and i love i loved looking through the Catholic Wedding Planner that you both have put together. I've gifted this. My sister is getting married in the fall, and so it was just a really beautiful resource to give to her. Yeah, tell me about where listeners can pick up a copy. Maybe they are engaged. Maybe they're in the same boat as me, and they have family members or friends who are getting engaged. How how can they find the Catholic Wedding Planner, and how can they connect with you both online?
1: They can find it at osvcatholicbookstore.com. Um uh, would recommend going there first, or uh, it should be available on Amazon as well. Um, and then we always encourage, check out your local Catholic retailer, see if it's there. If it's not, maybe mention it to them, ask if they'd be willing to carry it. We at OSB are always thrilled to work with local Catholic retailers. I say it also just with the, the
2: local Catholic retailers, you can always order books through them as well. Um, yes. So it's a way of yeah. getting
1: getting the book while also supporting them. That's and a so great point. Yep. Thanks, Rebecca. Um, I'm on Twitter, <laughs> uh, at M underscore B underscore Baker, and on Instagram at giltner.marybeth And I am pretty much only on Instagram, but I am uh, at
2: rebecca.w.martin. usually posting about books or writing. <laughs>
0: Okay, I have one last question, then I'm going to call it a night and, and let us all go to bed. <laughs> but the question that I can't that I can't skip over is the one that I ask every woman who comes on the podcast, which is, how do you live out the feminine genius in your daily life as a Catholic woman? And, and especially it, for this conversation, as women who are journeying alongside brides and, and their fiancés as they prepare for the sacrament of marriage. Yeah,
1: it's funny. I saw this question before we had this conversation thought, ooh, that's a good question and a good... Uh little examine for me as well. But, you know, one thing that I have been, I should say, very aware of in, in recent months, especially in my role as a wife, as a mother, as, as a book editor, right, at, at OSB and, and a manager is um, attentiveness uh, and, and tenderness. So this reality that as a woman, I am called to see the people around me, just kind of see them uh, as they are uh, in their need, in whatever it is they need from me in that moment. Uh, And so I think, especially with this wedding planner, part of what we do as book editors at OSB is try to be aware of the needs of the church. Um, What is it that people who are journeying in this life of faith could use and how can we provide that to them? And so, especially coming from this place of having been recently married ourselves, both Rebecca and I, I think really wanted to provide women like us with this deeply faithful, uh, but also deeply practical resource. So again, attentiveness, I think, is is a, a way in which the Lord is really calling on me these days. So
2: I say as your subordinate, I'm going to say you're very good at it. So Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pretty awesome boss. It's funny, the, the phrase feminine genius has always felt like that thing that's for other people. I don't know why, but I've recently been digging back into someone who was very, very influential for me growing up, and that is Dr. Alice von Hildebrand. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, I just wrote an article about this um, for Radiant. And just realizing that what she gave me, even as a teenager, and I was reading her book, The Privilege of Being a Woman, and not even really fully grasping it, was just that sense of... That being a woman means I'm called to be for another, mm-hmm. um, and for the people around me, and that's been really brought home in this season of marriage. Essentially, that that everything is love. That I mean, it's that phrase of of Saint Therese, but it's that reality that you know. Even when you break down into the you know the four parts of the feminine genius that JP two calls out, it all comes down to love. That's what I have to live out in every aspect of my married life, whether that's washing the dishes or talking to my husband or, you know, just helping him out after a stressful day, everything Um, that has it has to be guided by love and that that has to be my motivating factor. And if it is my motivator, you know, everything becomes easier
0: because I'm not fighting myself at at the same time. That's so good. Both of those responses were beautiful. Thanks for sharing them. I love that question. I love getting just inspired in my in my own vocation, especially in this conversation of being a wife and being a mom and and that love and attentiveness I think is so is so helpful. So thank you for speaking into what that means for your daily life. and thank you also for the beauty that is the Catholic wedding planner. It's just such a beautiful resource and I've loved getting to chat with you both about it. So thank you for coming on the show this evening.
1: Thank you for having us. This was delightful.
0: Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Letters to Women. This was such a fun conversation to launch on Valentine's Day. So if you're listening, happy Valentine's Day today. But if you're listening and tuning in on another day, I don't think there's ever a bad time to pause and really give some space and thought to the sacrament of marriage and the beauty of that vocation. You can check out the show notes for my conversation with Mary Beth and Rebecca at letters women.com. Or just scroll down in your podcast player to browse links like where to buy their new wedding planner, all the book recommendations that all of us gave during, during this conversation. And I'm also going to link to a recent article from Brides.com where I got to sit down and chat about putting together a wedding program and what to make sure you include to truly welcome your guests into your celebration. You'll also find links to the little Catholic box so you can check out their single boxes and then make sure to use that link for letters to women listeners so that you get your bonuses for each month. Hit subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a single new episode. And if you know a woman who would love listening to this episode, could you send it her way? Maybe you have a sister who's also engaged in planning for marriage or or your best friend and you're in her wedding and you're looking for that perfect gift for a bridal shower or just an engagement gift. This is it. This planner is absolutely stellar. And this conversation is just such a fun thing to maybe stir up some really good conversations about planning a wedding and preparing for a marriage. If the conversations you hear on Letters to Women are something you'd recommend to a friend and you happen to be an Apple podcast listener or a Spotify listener who has recently opened up ratings, and reviews, consider rating and reviewing the podcast. Your comments help me shape future shows, but they also let women know what the show is all about as they're browsing through and maybe finding something to listen to while they fold the laundry or drive to work. And if you are in the Kansas City area, and if you're a young woman between the age of 21 and 40, mark your calendars for March 5th, which is the Arise Catholic Young Adult Women's Conference by City on a Hill Sisterhood from 830 to 5 we'll be gathering at the Faustina building on 40th street in Casey Moe and just really spending time diving into the feminine genius and insp- being inspired and growing in holiness and I love how this conference is providing really specific formation about how young adult women are living out and can live out a lay apostolate here in our, my city which is Kansas City so I'll be there as a participant, but then I'll also have a small booth for Letters to Women uh, and the podcast. So if you're there, come by and say hello. If this is something that's piquing your interest, I put the registration um, information in the show notes for today. I would love to meet you there. That's all I have for today's episode. The next time you're going to find Letters to Women in your podcast feed is going to be the week that Lent starts. And I'm really excited to share that Sister Miriam James is coming back to this podcast. And we're going to be talking about the brand new Lenten devotional that she's written. So make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss that episode. Until next time, be not afraid.